0: Welcome, everybody, right. back to Veil vale of Sound. Um, interview Sunday, and as usual, we always love to have interesting people here on the show, and I think today we have another one of those. Evan Patterson from J. Gile. Um I don't even know if I pronounce it correctly, but anyway, so Evan, thanks for being on the show.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's J. Jail also.
0: J. Jail? Oh, yeah, of course,
1: because it's the, the
0: bird that is imprisoned, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Correct. First question that I always ask if you do, what kind of band merch are you wearing today? If anything,
1: band merch. I'm wearing no band merch at this moment in time. Yeah. So
0: before anybody asks, I always also, of course, promote some people that I like Ash Inspire from Scotland, one of my favorite bands from last year, one of the best. Black metal album from last year, and I would even go as far as the Imperial Triumphant album that Imperial Imperial Triumphant didn't make. Um, but Evan, let's get back to you. Where are we catching you right now?
1: Um, right now, I'm in the on the porch of my home in Louisville, Kentucky.
0: Isn't that the place where Cassius Clay was born?
1: Uh he was born here. It's correct. Cool. Muhammad Ali is a. Uh big figure in the world especially in Louisville I mean it's you know I think his uh, his work beyond boxing was you know so valuable to this city and helping with segregation and everything else that's gone on that is still very very prevalent in this city but it's I can't imagine it being it's much better than I'm sure with his work
0: mm-hmm. so um as you've already mentioned you, you you live in Louisville, Kentucky, a state which I have the pleasure of being there once. Um and I I never got a real grip on the state. Is it a northern state? Is it a southern state? When I hear people talk, I always feel like okay, that's a south.
1: Um yeah, I mean it's it's considered the gateway of the south. That's what we call it. You know, I mean but also, I feel like Indiana feels very southern, and it's north of us. So it's just... But, you know, anyone who's been to the States or anyone who lives in the States knows that there's southern accents everywhere, you know, not just in all parts of rural areas of all states. It's, That's true. Most people have southern accents.
0: Maybe we should call them rural accents. But let's let's stick to the south. <laughs> So you live in the South, but how much has the South shaped you?
1: I mean, quite a bit. I mean, it's it's always been, you know, I was raised, you know, going to a Methodist church and being a a Christian kid and, you know, sometimes I would say, uh, you know, I feel like I've done a lot for just a, a little redneck kid that grew up in. With the cornfield as my backyard and you know a lot a lot of a lot of times i feel surprised that i found any kind of underground subculture mm-hmm. that i latched on to because where we were there was not any subculture there was it was not there wasn't a, a music scene in this the town that i was raised in and you know it was an hour north of us in Louisville, but where I was raised was the looks of a little town, in Kentucky. So I feel very—I um, wouldn't say—I don't know if I feel connected to the South, but I—I I am from the South, and I'm, I'm from an area that, you know, is is not—it's not the same as being from a bigger city in the states. It's not the same as being from Chicago. You know, New York or LA or mm. Seattle. It's the uh the influence is something that it's you kind of have to go out and find it yourself. Here, it's not all around you. Mm. There's there's not a there's not a there's not you know sh- shows every night of bands that you know have, have changed the world. It's it's like it's really a small small underground arts community in Kentucky. So surviving and, and doing it it's, has always been important to me to kind of keep doing it and keep at it, and keep working.
0: I also ask for question because we will come back to it when we talk a little bit more in detail about the new record. Don't let your love life get you down. Um, which, first of all, is a wonderfully programmatic title life. life. Um, but... <laughs> Something that struck me before I even turned on the music was the cover. It is a very mm-hmm. unusual J.J.L. cover. Um, it is black it is. in a way, yes, but it's very, very colorful at the same time. Um, how did that come about? Did you have somebody who did it for you? or
1: um, the, the album art was something, you know, I hadn't, after making all of the music for the album, I hadn't really... I didn't want to do a photo of me. I'd done that in the past and I didn't want to have it be as a uh, kind of somewhat uh, come off a little more centered around me. I wanted to feel a little more hopeful and something a little more about, you know, that, that image to me, Thomas Hooper made it. It's the two paintings that he made and I, I really latched onto those paintings Because he he posted them on Instagram actually, and and I you know I said to him like I really love these, and you know, can I purchase them from you? Also, would you be interested in letting me use them as album art? And he was just really kind of stunned and happy, and you know, just like of course, let's do this. I I would love to do anything you want to do with the album art. You know, more than willing. And he actually the hands that are holding the paintings and the cover art are are his his son's hands. So that's also really exciting to incorporate his son into the artwork. And just those images in general, they just had this kind of really bright forward motion and growth, like a pinnacle feeling of, you know, something, something that's not just flat and not just that's a photo or that's, you know, it's, there's more to explore in the imagery, in my opinion, than just looking at it once. You know, there's there's a lot to study and look at in these paintings. Definitely. And that's kind of the that's kind of the idea of I mean, the album, while there's a lot of, you know, darker subjects and you know, maybe there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of hope. And there's a lot of like ideas of of growth and of of saying, you know, like it's okay, move forward. You know, it's you know, it, it's not a a thing for me to just be. I don't ever want to be in the places that I've kind of been in my past, where I've kind of been, you know, and swallowed by depression and kind of hit places where I, you know, lost sight of what what was making me happy or what else could make me happy or what could bring me joy or what to do next. And the past couple of years, I've been working towards more of a, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, 100% like positive view on everything, but definitely uh, a little less uh, wallowing, (laughs) Um,
0: something that just struck me when you spoke about it. Um, could you agree to me saying that it's a record that puts the hand out to everyone who's lying in order to show them how to get up again?
1: And yeah, of course. It's, it is definitely a. Kind of, it's okay. Everyone is is going through very similar things and there are many, many other things in life that can bring you out of it and can make you, you know, move towards finding happiness in other places. And you know, it it's you know, I wouldn't say that I particularly thought about um picking people up or or being an uplifting album because it's not an uplifting album, but I mean, it definitely a thing of the topic of love and a topic of relationships being good or bad and relationships failing or relationships, you know, it's, it's just such a, it's, it's a hot topic amongst humans. And, and I kind of always, think about that in a way of, you know, what if we just put less importance on our love lives, and more importance on our own self, and embedding ourself and not putting weight on other people and losing the codependency of of our, of our relationships and, you know, taking care of ourselves a little bit more on every level, you know, and that's kind of what I'm getting at with the title. It's it's not just it's not just saying don't let your love life get you down. It's saying don't let really any of these things that are very typical to to make us get down. You know, it's it's pushing against the fairy tale of of life. And it's like there's no exact way. That the things in your life that you are doing could make you happier or less happy, and it's all just kind of it's it's a gamble on what's going to work and what's not going to work, and it's it's a life lesson more or less. You know, Mm. constantly learning what is going to make us happier, what is going to you know put us in a place where we feel like living and like celebrating and like creating you know just waking up and having a enjoying the day rather than waking up and feeling like you don't want to do anything there you know the whole you know the whole the whole aspect of just kind of finding a way to get out of depression I mean, it's it's been very important to me in the past few years
0: what is also very interesting about the record as well as the message and as well as the lyrics, is the music itself. The music itself is unmistakably jJ That is not a question. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it, to me, sounds like a bigger version of what J.J.L. was before. It is it is a dark record in in a lot of parts, but it's also got some kind of grandezza, some kind of splendor, some kind of brilliant moments in it, um, especially yeah. in the sound. Um, how important was that sound for you? How long did it take to develop this special
1: well, it's, sound? This This album, this, the songs I've been working on, I mean, some of the songs I've been working on for seven years and just kind of you know playing playing guitar by myself alone at home and and working on the little the little tiny you know transitions and little little movements that are existing in the songs and you know and and also I mean most of this album was the songs were near completed with with the vocal ideas and the melodies and the, the lyrical subjects and and as it went on it, it just became to, obvious to me, especially after recording, before even mixing the album, what songs were going to make the record? Because there are also four other songs that we recorded at the same time that were a lot more aggressive and kind of more towards something more akin to what Young Widows does. And those those four songs, to me, as much as that, I was like, well, these songs are fantastic, and they're they're kind of a little more angry. And they're a little more you know heavy and they have a different feel than these songs so it was making the call of making this album that had a mood rather than an album that just goes you know from from one mood into this other mood into this other mood and it was it was really important to me that it, you know that an album keeps keeps you in a place rather than like jerks you around and, and takes you in and out of music. It's it's important to me that, that there's a body of music that you can put on and know it's going to make you feel a certain way from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. And that's always been a big thing with the J.J.L. albums is, is finding that. Through. So with these songs, I didn't really understand quite how Um, pretty the songs were until Ben mixed the songs. And then when I was getting mixes from him and just his production quality was was something that I knew was going to be fantastic from working with him on the prison album that I made on my phone because he took these songs that I made on my phone and turned them into these massive pieces of music that, you know, to me, I, I was in shock even getting those mixes back. So I knew something fantastic was going to happen. But what he really did with this album in particular is he made it just gorgeous and beautiful and uh, everything that was moderately melodic, he made it even more melodic and, and more captivating and in a way that, you know, I mean, it, like I was saying earlier, before we started the interview, the uh, the first song that I heard, Black Diamonds and Bad Apples, when I heard that first mix, it it brought me to tears in a way of just, like, just overwhelming the sounds and the lyrics and the things that he did to make it all come together so perfectly. It's, it's really something special and unique. I feel so fortunate to be able to work with him on this music.
0: Uh, for, for everybody who might not know who Ben Chisolm is. Ben is um, working a lot, for example, with artists like Chelsea Wu. And um, he has a very certain knack for, for sound. He has a he very does. good hand for it. Uh, you mentioned that first song that you got from him, or back from him, Black Diamonds and Bad Apples. Um that is one of the examples, and that is one of the reasons why I asked about the South. When listening to the beginning of that track, it is very, very stubborn. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was also at least subconsciously like intentional, if it is, if it is um, possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, it's it's kind of been a thing like my kind of connection with blues music and, you know, I mean, I guess it happened some point in playing with Young widows. There was a certain point where I really connected to a lot of Mississippi and Delta blues and a lot of guitar playing in particular. And as that kind of went on my interest in that, and the more I listened to it, the more I just kind of, became obsessed with certain artists and that, you know, create those songs that just have these kind of winding guitar parts and, you know, like Junior Kimbrough and John Lee Hooker and, you know, Skip James. And, you know, these these artists to me are just, the more I got into them, the more I was just, like I want to make music like that, that gives me that same feeling musically. But, you know, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be a Stevie Ray Vaughn kind of blues player. I don't you know, I don't want to be Yeah yeah yeah, you don't want to have an achy breaky (laughs)
0: heart clear. Yeah
1: yeah yeah. Yeah yeah it's you know so it's the the Southern aspect of it, you know, is it's funny a friend of mine even mentioned that it's like this song is Man, your accent—you kind of sing with an accent on this song. Yeah, yeah. And I never really, I never really put it together until he said that, and I was like, "Oh, I guess I do." But it's just kind of what the song called for, uh-huh. you know. And it's because it's a—it is a part of my my roots—is—is is the accent and the country accent and the you know the southern accent. It's, it's a real thing. that's true
0: when i now hear you it sounds less sovereign when i hear you talk yeah but on the album it sounds like
1: (laughs) that's that's a that's the thing that happens yeah i think maybe uh you know and and i do listen a lot of like folk and blues music and you know my my kind I kind of became more interested in country music for not as much as I am now but just kind of more oddball the interesting stuff you know like Lee Hazelwood stuff and mm-hmm. just 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 kind of the the more artistic side of country music and the less pop side that, that's always been my my interest in that genre of music that point where I kind of rockabilly turned into country. I really like that mm-hmm. point, you know. Like.
0: So would then Johnny Cash also be a reference point?
1: Yeah, I mean, of, of course, Johnny Cash has some songs, but he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was one of the artists I was really mm-hmm. obsessing about, you know. The, mm-hmm. Even like, you know, like the first, the first Link Ray album was was a yeah. record that I I really liked and There's a lot of, you know, I started collecting 45 seven inches and that's kind of how this whole, the JJL project started as I was collecting these random 45s, you know, just digging for hours and pulling things out, listening to them and then, you know, finding these one songs that don't exist anywhere else, but on this little tiny record and listening to them over and over again and, you know taking taking notes from it of like, this is what I want to do, like something like mm-hmm. this. It's like, you know, it's you know, something like I think about bands like Spaceman Three and Suicide and, you know, they're also taking from the same like blues genre, you know, this around the same influences of when it kind of crossed over into something that wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily Blues music and it wasn't rock and roll and it wasn't country and it was just this impossible to describe sound that you know artists were making and that's that's kind of where where I wanted to I want to I want to make an impossible to describe sound that's what I really want to do
0: the more you talk about it the more I have a feeling as if we are talking about a can we say psychedelic folk record? Because it's very broad. It, it, it sometimes also reminds me, of, for example, of Spiritualized, um, Yeah. Or sparkle horse or something like that, you know. Um, and the way that you have been describing the things, it sounds or it seems as if you're looking for that core that speaks to our soul. And also in a way which is not relatable to any kind of genre. But yeah. what also struck me is that with a lot of the artists that you mentioned, a lot of them are known for playing an acoustic guitar or writing their stuff on an acoustic guitar. Did you mm-hmm. also do that with Don't Let Your Love Life Get You Down?
1: Yes. I mean, every every single song was written on acoustic guitar. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of also... I mean, I steered away from that a little bit with the, uh, of course, with the Prison album and... The no trail album also was, was kind of more written in the rehearsal space with the band and a lot of just kind of jamming and finding upon these, you know, hypnotic riffs and, and this but this this album is very much a guitar album that was written on, you know, it's actually an arch top, it's an old sixties Sears arch top that I play. That uh that's what I wrote every single song that's on this album on, so.
0: You have also mentioned that um, this record, um, in in one of the promo texts that I've read, that this record is, in a way, stepping a little bit back from J.J.L. being your very own solo project, but more, again, a little bit into the realm of a band project. Um, so how much how must we imagine that because you said you wrote it all by yourself how much did the other musicians involved contribute to the songs
1: um, a lot I mean honestly probably four or five of these songs were just worked on endlessly in between tours and 2017 to two thousand. Nineteen, and you know we were working on these songs and some of them we played live and and you know, having the the band there to work on the songs and try out different things and have little you know suggestions and you know ways you know just the way that my bandmates choose to play their instruments lends itself to a sound and yeah, with with the band. And I've been playing with Todd Cook, who's the bass player who's been on the band since House Cricks, and he did not start the project with me, but he and I were doing another band prior to this, and he's always been one of my favorite bass players. He played on the Four Carnations self-title album, which is an all-time favorite of mine. And his his playing has always been... Kind of dub influenced, which is a thing that I really like, that he, he has that style because it adds a whole different kind of rhythm and take to the songs. Or instead of it just being, you know, playing along with the notes or, or whatever it might be, he he creates a whole another rhythmic element with his bassline style. So that's always been something. Very exciting. And, and with Neil Argerbright, who plays drums, he has kind of chosen to be more of a drum machine rather than a, a drummer that wants to do drum fills and have, you know, he, he wants to be very, very minimal to a point where it doesn't even really want to change because he doesn't want to change the mood. It doesn't want to change the, the energy, really. It's, it's, it's actually sometimes working in those, you know, with those guidelines and those parameters, it's it's difficult to make the song go anywhere else besides just like stay in that, that box and that mood and that, you know, headspace because of the, the styles of the band.
0: Um, and I was thinking about it in a way that, you know, a lot of JJL songs and records have been, have been your babies, have been like your project, but is it also Mm -hmm. like taking the freedom of saying, okay, I've been there and now let's do a band thing again. You know, it's like the jailed Jaybird. Yeah. Is, is, Is it you finding the freedom outside of the cage? By still limiting your hundred percent responsibility for everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's still, I'm still the main composer of the songs, and you know, I'm still kind of, you know, saying yes and no, and this is this is this is how it should be, and this is how it shouldn't be, and this is where it ends this is where it starts. This is the, you know, this is the change, all of those things, you know, I'm still very much arranging and, and, you know, mostly it's, it's kind of the, you know, the artistic support of my band that, it's that mm. really sets, sets it apart from, you know, other projects. I feel like just playing, you know, doing something on your own, completely on your own and, writing songs without any influence of bandmates of you know of your peers is can be rewarding but sharing that with them is much more rewarding to me mm. um
0: you yeah, have been talking about a lot of the songs revolving around love sadness personal growth also The dark sides of all of those things. Mm. How does it feel to play some of these songs in front of an audience who loves to hear them and who love, who seemingly loves to listen to your sad sides or to your sad stories? How does that feel? That dichotomy.
1: I mean, I guess you know. I guess it feels. I mean, of course, it feels good to to have other people celebrate these these songs and these. Concepts and lyrical concepts and stories that that bring me joy to create and while they might have a a sad undertone and mm-hmm. they might you know they might not be you know they might not be songs that someone would say would make you happy, but they they do make me happy they always do, and that's. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a point is you know discussing these things and having these these ideas and concepts about you know with the first song on the album, um, Warm Blood and Honey. you know it's it's a it's a song about suicide that wraps itself up at the end, saying, you know, there is actually, you can change everything. you can change yourself, you can do everything differently. And you can you can do everything in your life differently if you want to, but, you know, you have to make that decision. And so there's always these kind of there's there's always these kind of little wrap ups in most of these songs and stories where it's like it might feel like it's just like, oh, it's it's awful and it's sad and it's awful, and it's it doesn't get any better. And then I always kind of try to make it the very end be like, it is okay and it is better and and that's I think that's kind of where the, the joy comes in of saying like, you know, we all feel these ways at times and we all, you know, kind of need someone to say, you can do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel better or mm. or you can find little, you know, cracks of light, of lightness in, in the darkest situations and, you know, One song is dealing with, you know, the death of of a friend, and then wrapping around and saying like, "But the person that accidentally killed your friend, you don't want them to suffer." Also, you know, it's there's just there's a lot of like ways that I'm, I'm trying to to have these perspectives of it just not being. Where life just is always awful and life is always depressing. And Mm. because it can easily turn that way very, very easily. And especially if you see it that way, right? Yes, exactly. And it's, and it's, but it's, I mean, it's hard not to see. And a lot of times, you know, uh, subjects of, you know, depression and subjects of suicide are, are not enjoyable things for people to talk about. And, you know, and a lot of people are ashamed of feeling depressed. They're ashamed of going through, you know, of going through any kind of dark situation, whether it even be with other family members or with your work life or, you know, all of these things, everyone's just kind of scared of, of being honest and I guess ultimately, I'm always saying it's like it's okay to feel all these ways and to go through all of these things because everyone is going through all of those things all of the time. And you know, once once we understand that we can literally make take a left turn instead of a right turn, um, that's an artistic, creative decision that we can make for ourselves. Yeah, and and you know, we can we can walk and change our our mindsets in whatever we want, in the time we want to. And so what's what's beautiful about life is we can literally do pretty much whatever we want to.
0: Just stepping back one little uh, moment uh, about that dichotomy of an audience celebrating songs which might come from a dark place. Would you agree with some of the greats like Leonard Cohen and others? who very often described this dichotomy um, with something that a lot of them called the joy of the creator. And like even though those things and those songs and topics come from a dark place, sharing them with other people
1: gives them joy. Absolutely. I mean, that's... I mean, it's... I mean, it's beyond sharing it, it's creating it. It's it's finding a way to put all these thoughts and feelings into something to share. And then, you know, then being being able to share it is just an, an extra added joy, in my opinion. You know, that's, it's not necessarily, when I'm making a song, I don't necessarily think this is going to be wonderful to play, perform live. I don't think that. Yeah, in particular, you know, I, I think more. This is this is going to be really exciting to be able to complete this song mm-hmm. and document it, and have that be able to be shared with people and other people be able to hear hear this. You know, so I, I do agree with with that statement. And Leonard Cohen, uh. Leonard Cohen has has many uh, many wise ways to put his reasoning for making his music. Um, yeah. You know more more so than than I do because I'm just I'm also learning from him. Yeah. Still
0: Although I still don't know if you would be happy if so many people used Hallelujah as a song at their wedding. Because <laughs> that's like the second no, that's worst not. that's the second worst song to play at a wedding. The worst one is every breath you
1: take.
0: <laughs> I believe agree. me people. Believe me. <laughs> Um, but I think something that is also important, and it's also important for me to ask, because we've been talking about dark motifs, dark stuff, very simple question. 2023, are you happy with where you are in life right
1: now? I'm very happy right now, yes. Very, very happy. Yes. I couldn't really ask for a better life at this moment in time that's a wonderful answer and and I can go into detail but the details don't really matter I don't, I don't
0: details really don't matter much.
1: yes I don't, really, ah. I, don't really, I don't really I don't really need that much but I'm just I'm busy I like being busy so okay. that's, that's good would you say that you're a workaholic or is it just you like to be a busy bee uh well, I'm also really good at not doing anything when I need to not do anything. Okay. <laughs> then you're not a work I, I can stop.
0: That
1: is a good thing. <laughs>
0: um, one last question about the album. Um, the new record is going to be out on Pelagic mid-July. Uh, and as I've already said, folks, uh, I know when you listen to this interview and when you watch it, it's mid-June. So it's still a few weeks, still released. But believe me, it's a good one. A record is going to be out on Pelagic. It's uh, a change of label for you. So how did that happen?
1: Um, My working relationship with Sergeant House was kind of getting to a place of uh, stale kind of loss. And without going into too many details, it's just kind of a... I think we both had expectations and I kind of was unhappy with the work relationship, working relationship with them. So Pelagic had done this Lustmord compilation of a bunch of artists doing their versions of Lustmord songs and I contributed to one of those pieces and just my communications with the label were so, uh, kind of casual and easygoing and, and seeing the kinds of records they've released, which are beautiful packaging. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's a thing that I was missing working with Sergeant House House is being able to do something more elaborate with the packaging because it's such a huge part of the art, in my opinion, to have, you know these really beautiful record packaging, it, fun colored vinyl, and these things that make you excited to hold these records in your hand. Mm. That's a big. That's a big reason why I have bought certain records in my past. And so working with Pelagic was just somewhat of a natural progression, and you know the record's not out yet. But so far, so good. I enjoy working there, and it's
0: gonna, be, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna work out very nicely because the music is very good. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. You yeah. have now been part of this whole Louisville scene for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you perceive the development of that scene?
1: Um the development of the scene as far as where it's at now mm-hmm. compared to how it has been. I mean, I would say it's it's very different being a kid and going to punk shows and, you know, being around in the late 90s and going to, you know, see sold-out hardcore punk shows. I mean, this was a regular occurrence in the 90s. You know, and also going to see certain shows where I'd see Hoover or certain bands that I'd see them play. Thirty people. There were still small shows in the nineties, but I think things got really, really popular in the underground punk hardcore world here. Then, and you know, as Louisville has grown, my brother and I were putting on a lot of underground shows in Louisville for probably probably a decade. We were putting on shows here. And it just it changes when you get older. When you get older and you're kind of like, well, you know, I don't really want to make the same music I made when I was 16. And, I, you know, I don't really want to make the same music I made when I was 20. I don't really want to make the same music I made when I was 25. And then you know, and then I'm nah. yeah, I'm kind of more interested in in creating and making music than I am about shows, about, you know, going to shows and about you know, attending shows. And I say that, but I still attend lots of shows in town. And the music scene as far as what is successful, as far as attendance wise and those kind of things, you know, it's just all oh, it's also random and there's a lot of younger bands that are starting right now that are, you know, doing really incredible things. And, you know, I you know, went to a, I played an all ages show with this new band that I'm doing called Total Concrete and it's really fast kind of blistering hardcore. And, and you know, 15 minutes set, 10 songs in 15 minutes and, we're opening for these younger bands. And it was such an honor to be there and be with, you know, kids from, it was mostly like kids from the age 12 to, you know, 18. And just such a different crowd and a a different energy than anything I am ever around, I mean, or have been around since I was that age and even even now things are just i feel like the younger generation is just going to be so powerful and strong in in ways like especially in the underground music world it's it's like i think that we're going to be see so much beauty and powerful things come from young punks i think like it's it's the best it ever has been so it's exciting
0: so could you uh, at the, from the top from the tip of your tongue could you name like three louisville bands apart from total concrete that you would say okay keep an eye out on those
1: uh there's a band from here called shipfire that's uh i mean they play they play all of the time in louisville but they're they're a really fun band and you know i, I see them I mean, they might play like every other weekend here. I've seen them probably play three or four times, and in really incredibly tight band, and great songs, and fun band. And I'm trying to think of some other ones. Uh, you know, I mean, I also love you know with with Louisville, there's a lot more like kind of avant-garde music going on right now, also, and. Some friends so. do a band called called uh Equipment Appointed Onk. You and you
0: have to send me that name via email because yeah. I sure I will put it in the comments, but I will not be able to understand that.
1: And uh they're they're a great band. Yeah, Equipment Appointed Onk is their name. U U N C. A N K H. Okay. So, And they're they're kind of more of an improvisational group, you know. Okay, so that's two. And a third, you know, I mean, the last show, that was my brother's show, Photo Crime. Mm. He just played a a show, you know, just a a few blocks from the neighborhood my brother and I both live in. And it was great to see him play, and he has a new album coming out. So that's exciting to go celebrate that with him and, and see his band play. For,
0: for for anybody who's asking like photocrime, crime, photo crime, I've never heard of it. You have certainly heard of a band called Colosseum. That's where Evans' brother was. Um, Correct. So real one of those Louisville bands that, that also caught my eye onto the city a little bit. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking about older bands, I have to ask that. Is there any chance of getting new music from any of your former mm-hmm. bands, be it National Acrobat, Breaver Resist, <laughs> Black Cross slash Black Widows, Young Widows. Any chance um, of getting new stuff from any of those? Well, I'm pretty sure it will not be National Acrobat
1: because that no, was I mean, 20 years. Young, young Widows is actually going to the studio to begin recording a new album this Friday. So <laughs> this Friday we, we start the recording and and um we'll see hopefully... Fingers crossed, um, an album next year for Young Widows, which will be 10 years since our last album.
0: You know that you made an old man happy, right? Um,
1: <laughs>
0: that's very promising. Oh. Um,
1: that means very, very
0: happy. Man. Uh, so that were my usual regular question. But as every listener <laughs> or people who watch this little ditty regularly know, Nobody's can, nobody can escape Veil of Sound interviews without going through the infamous quickfire round at the end. You will get a few questions which are always like roses versus tulips, Amsterdam versus Rotterdam, Gothenburg versus Oslo. You know, and you have to say, like, okay, which one do you like more? Or which one do you prefer at this very moment? And we will start off with something easy. You have been talking about big American cities, so I'll ask you, where would you rather go right now? New York City? Or LA? New York. Why? Like always give a
1: short um, explanation. Why? Uh, I just kind of like New York better as far as getting around the city.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a little yeah, easier than getting around LA. And yeah. um, I mean, once you're in the city, it's easier. I mean, West Coast is is much more beautiful, in my opinion. But you need a car. I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a big LA person. Uh, yeah, it's not really it's not my town. Yeah, it's a it has beautiful parts,
0: but I remember driving into LA from the east, and um, I think we crossed LA city limits, and it took us like two and a half hours to get to the beach. Still, and I was like, what the heck?
1: that's just
0: too big of a city okay Um, next question you have done a lot of noise rock in your time Uh, and we all know the god of noise rock uh, or I I always liked Steve Albini a little bit more so question, which Albini band is more to your liking
1: Big Black or Shellac definitely Shellac can Um, you say why yeah, I really love that Terraform album and um, that uh, that first song the uh, what's the, the the really repetitive one? Does he that, have any other song? Um, what's <laughs> you know the one that just kind of goes forever I can't remember what that's called, uh. it's called That's the first song on Terraform and mm-hmm. I kind of uh, I like that that kind of style of repetition and connected more with like that album than any of the other Sherlock albums and yeah, I think they're they're a good band they they kind of do a a good twist on all of it you know, all of the, the post-punk kind of things you know, and I was a fan of Big Black, but uh, definitely more of a fan of Sherlock
0: As you've already mentioned um, post-punk um Joy Division or Bauhaus?
1: You no, know, go Bauhaus. Um, kind of like the randomness of of Bauhaus, and I'm not really that. I'm not really a big Joy Division fan. You know, it's, I I enjoy it, but it's it's not it's not my division. <laughs>
0: I can understand that. Uh, For me, the problem with Joy Division is always no band can live up to that hype. In retrospect, not even Nirvana. Yeah. Uh, Although that was the hype that I was.
1: My favorite thing about Joy Division is that uh, Ian Curtis supposedly killed himself listening to Iggy Pop, The Idiot, or the single of mass production. And I've always, that's one of my favorite Iggy Pop songs and favorite Iggy Pop favorite one of my favorite albums, and I've always thought, and that that would be, I mean that's that's a record. I guess if you were to kill yourself, that would be a record to listen to. That's what I've always thought, in a good way, in a when positive way.
0: When we're all talking, already talking about such dark, such dark stuff, uh, which <laughs> one do you think is? More appropriate to play at a funeral, and I don't know if you know a second one, but it would be my choice uh Iggy Pop's lust for life mm-hmm. or the poke's body of an American
1: definitely lust for life. I'm not a pogues fan. I can't really get uh get into the super drunk Shane McGowan okay. singing thing it's uh yeah, it's it's never been a, a thing for me. Never really. I don't think I ever chose chose to put on a, folk hmm. song in my entire life. So,
0: well, I'm European. We have a different feeling there. But um, <laughs> when when we're talking about singers being drunk, and that is something that, in interestingly, came from from one of our writers when I was mentioning that I would be interviewing you, he said like, oh. The guy who sounds, and now comes your choice, Nick Cave or Mark Lanegan,
1: Because he said uh, it's like
0: a cross of both.
1: I would say neither. Okay. But I would say it sound more like Simon Boney, Crime City Solution than either I, of them. But
0: which one do you prefer? <laughs> Lanigan or Cave? I would, I would prefer Lanigan. Definitely prefer lanagan Do you have a favorite album of his?
1: Bubblegum is my favorite Lanigan album. Bubblegum and Blue you those two mm. would be the
0: same for me, but the other way around. Um, yeah. So, last question. Um, as we were talking about hardcore and as we were talking about New York City, which New York City hardcore band do you prefer, Sig of It All or Agnostic Front?
1: You know, that's, that's another thing. I'm not a big New York hardcore fan. I don't know if I could say I prefer either. That's okay. I don't would be, there I don't be a, Would them.
0: there be a New York hardcore band that you like?
1: You know, I'd always say it was Bad Brains the Bad Brains is a DC band but they are kind of a New York hardcore band also yeah because they recorded a the record there yeah but uh, you know I'm trying to even think of a New York hardcore band when I was a kid as like, long as uh, you don't say biohazard
0: everything's fine
1: I'm trying to even think of a popular New York hardcore band when I was a kid, there was a band from there called Millhouse that I liked a lot. That was, uh, I think the singer went on to do some some other bands Indecision and something some other bands. But that was that was probably my favorite York hardcore band that I can think of.
0: Is there any city in the U.S. where you say, "Okay, I like that hardcore scene"? Uh... I could imagine you being a DC guy. Like you know,
1: I, I would say a, yeah, a DC hardcore would be the only hardcore scene I can think of that I would like. It was a big, it was a big part of the Louisville music scene and influence here. But you know, at, at a certain point, it's like I feel like the DC hardcore scene just turned into a, a, kind of a, its own thing that wasn't a hardcore sound, and you know, yeah. I
0: mean, like the, the end. Of it. Fugazi yeah. is not hardcore. It's, it's,
1: it's no, no. Math Rock. It's wonderfully I don't know what done. it yeah. is. Think, I, think I think it's Fugazi. That's true. That's true. It still just sounds like Fugazi and no one else.
0: That is How familiar are you with like hardcore of the last, let's say, 10, 15 years? Is that still not something very, that you were interested that, that much in?
1: Not very um, familiar. And I kind of kind of hit uh kind of hit a wall with like the you know, with like Bosch stopping playing and converge Jane Doe You Fail Me era mm-hmm. and that you know, and that was kind of when I I just wasn't really hearing much new after that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of lost interest in Discovering new hardcore albums, or you know, anything in that that world. But you know, I'm trying to think of other heavy records. There's there's a band, you know, there's a, there's a couple metal records that I've gotten into lately in the past few years. That uh, or Nancy Pazuzu. What's what's? That band? Pazuzu.
0: Yeah, that's black metal. Yeah. yeah, from Finland.
1: But, yeah. But yeah, like that. That band is is making really cool records that I'm excited when I hear them. Like they sound like what I kind of loved from you know early, the late '90s and early 2000s hardcore and metal. And they're kind of doing something kind of black you, metal, but it's still very it's very different.
0: Do you like that psychedelic aspect in their music?
1: I do, yeah. I think that's, it's not even that psychedelic to me. It's just, it's just something different to me. It's just, it's, it's, it just seems like more musical than Mm. the kind of straightforward, more meat and potatoes kind of metal hardcore world. But, But to me, I'm just like, I don't really need to hear any more of that. I've heard enough.
0: Then, before my last question, I hereby give you a listening suggestion. Uh, Not only because the guy behind it is a good friend of mine, but also because I think it's a brilliant band that matches this Aranzi-Pazuzu thing. Um, Ulfa, U-L-T-H-A from Cologne. Psychedelic black metal and maybe the best band ever to come out of Cologne. My hometown. Um, Okay. And now, final question. And I uh, I was thinking about which two bluesers to give you because I didn't want to give you any of those that you mentioned. Uh, therefore, I give you the choice between Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson.
1: Robert Johnson. Um, no, I, I don't. Muddy Waters is not a favorite. Well, he has, you know, Electric Mud's a good record probably my favorite of his but uh robert johnson just has that you know has that dark sound that i like in in a lot of his songs not all of his songs but uh, and a lot of his his guitar playing is just something very special you know it's it's more important to me than most blues guitar players and I feel like his guitar playing influenced so many more than everyone kind of in the guitar world including Muddy Waters so
0: yeah and also a lot of people uh, that then again influenced others I mean like without without Johnson there would not be Eric Clapton and from Clapton
1: yeah a lot of others yeah so to too bad. Clapton's an awful person.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and he hasn't made a good song in, I don't know, how many years? 30. 30, 40, 30. Something near 40. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But closing the cycle to worst songs ever, uh, I don't know if I can stand one more version of Tears Him. Sorry. Bad story. But. No, thank you. Yeah, Evan, thanks for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. And everybody, mid of July, J.J.L. Jail. Don't let your love life get you down. Listen to it, and if you don't like it, then you have no heart. Evan, your chance for <laughs> final last words.
1: So thank you very much. Thanks for you know taking the time.
0: Thank you for doing this, my friend. Take care. Bye bye.